Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. Good morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Aren't you just hungry for his presence and for more of Jesus this morning? I feel like I was just supposed to share a little tip with you this morning, just a little secret. It comes out of Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I think, 9 or 10. And it's where John is about to receive the vision of the revelation, the unfolding revelation of God at the end of the, of the, at the, end of the book, right? But when he does receive that, it says some, a really key phrase before that. Just before he receives this vision, this word from the Lord, it says, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I got this vision I heard from God. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's the secret. Some of us are like, hey, I just need to hear from God. I just need a word from the Lord. I just, I need direction for my life. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need Jesus. I need to hear from him. I don't know where he is. I'm not hearing him. I don't feel him. I don't feel his presence. I'm not sure what's going on. I need direction. Anybody ever been in that boat? Yeah, me. I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. We moved this week. That's a whole other story. Help us, Jesus. But here's the secret. John gives it to us. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Do you know what everybody at the time of writing knew? Everybody at the time he wrote that knew what he was doing. That meant he was worshiping God. That's what that meant. He was in worship. He said, he's all alone, right? He's in a cave on the Isle of Patmos. What's he going to do? He's just, he's going to worship God. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and this happened. Suddenly behind me, there was this dude standing there and they gave me this vision. If you need more of God, if you want more of God, if you're hungry for God, thirsty for God, you need a word from the Lord, you need direction from God, you need healing from hurts in your life, you need healing in your physical body, healing in your heart, your soul, your mind. If you need something from God, I want to give you this tip, this secret today. It's found in the Spirit of God, in worship, in His presence. That's where it's found. That's where it's found. He's not just going to slap you upside the head with this one day while you're just walking down the street. I mean, it could happen. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But I want to give you this tip here, this hack. Get in worship. Get in the presence of God. When it's offered, be there. If people are staying, I'm staying. If people are in the presence of God, I want to be there. Why? Because that's where he is. That's where his presence is. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. All right, that's not what we're talking about today. That was just a little aside. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your presence in this place. Thanks for your goodness to us. 
Lord, we're just like sponges today. We just wanna soak up all of your presence, all of your word. Just speak to us today, we ask God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned a minute ago that we moved this week. Um, we, we moved a, a week ago, and a bunch of uh, people f- from the worship team and just from the church helped, and we are so thankful. And thank you to everybody who's like brought us meals and stuff like that. It's just been so helpful. Um, and I don't even think we even asked for help, which is kind of shame on us. Uh, we just kind of got help, which was like amazing. People just showed up, and it was so helpful. We downsized, downsizing seven people was a lot. I'm looking at my hands to see if they're still shaking. It was a lot on me. I don't like to downsize. I don't like to condense. That's not me. We just, I'm American, right? I like more stuff, more parking spots for more things. <laughs> so I'm, you guys, I'm just showing you just a little bit about who I am. Don't shame me just yet. You can do that later. We like more stuff, but I will tell you what, one of the things we did as we downsized, we had to also condense bedrooms. And with seven of us, we had to get really organized to do that. And my wife, thank God, is super organized. So, and she's also super tight pay, so you know what she did? Uh, she sent Moses and I to Ikea on Monday. And all of you who just didn't say anything, you know where Ikea is. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, Ikea. No, Ikea's in Salt Lake, the closest one. So we did a quick trip, just shot down to Ikea real fast, Moses and me. (laughs) Anyways. God's working on me, you guys. We shot down to Ikea really fast, and we loaded up five beds, systems, like Ikea bed systems, right? Like we bought out an aisle of Ikea. And... Somehow Moses and I got it to, because Moses is a Lego master. You guys, he's, he actually calls himself a master. Is he in the room? Moses, are you in the room? He was. Okay, I'll brag on him while he's not here. Moses calls himself a master builder. He actually is a master builder. Like he can just build anything. He can just put it. So we get to Ikea. We, you guys, we had three carts. These aren't grocery store carts. Have you been there? Okay. Three of those stacked about this high a piece. Moses somehow engineered it all, and he and I got it all into the back of our Suburban. Wow. That's it was so impressive. I was like, and we were riding pretty low. <laughs> Three-quarter ton, we got the job done. Got home, and then Moses has started now over the process of the last five days to put all of those beds together. We're paying him to put them together. He's so fast. If you need Ikea stuff put together, I have the hookup. (laughs) He needs money for camp. So, but I tell you what, it was such a, (laughs) don't worry, I I got him some in and out while we were there, and yeah. So we've had quite a week. It's been quite a week around our house. My back was out most of the week. And it's been just kind of one of those weeks. Um, But all along, I knew a few weeks back when I actually started preparing, three or four weeks back when I started preparing for this message, God spoke and said, today's going to be significant in our church. Today's going to be significant in our lives. And I want us to proceed today with that seed of faith in our hearts. We're wrapping up this series on Jonah. And I don't know about you, but it's been really good for me. 
really good for me. These four chapters about a story that I thought I knew pretty well, it's been really good for me. It's been really good to talk about this prophet. It's been really good to talk about this guy who didn't do everything right that God's desperately trying to get a hold of and change his life. So it's just, it's been an awesome series. So just to recap, for those of you who don't know, and I encourage you, if you have not been around, just go back the the last few weeks. We've been in the book of Jonah. Just go back and watch the series. It's called Scent. It's been super good. Just watch them and get caught up because God's going to speak to you through it. Young people that are in the room and and teens today from Forge, you're you're here. You're not over in your seat. God's going to speak to you today. Old people in the room, not at Forge. God's going to speak to you today. And everything in between. This is what I know about God. The Bible says, and Peter references it. Um, Peter references the book of Joel when he's talking in the book of Acts. And he says, in the last days, that's today. That's, that's from Jesus till now. In the last days, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on everybody. Young and old. Rich and poor. Jew and Greek, it doesn't matter. He's pouring out his spirit in these last days on everybody. Anyway, I'm, going, I'm skipping ahead. So Jonah receives a message from God. We, all, we, know, we think we know the story. I know it much better now. Jonah receives this message from God to the city of Nineveh that says, go tell Nineveh that, to, to repent or they're going to be destroyed. So instead of going to Nineveh, he goes in the opposite direction. He gets on a boat in the port of Joppa. He hops on, and he heads to Tarshish, which is the farthest place known to man at the time. And immediately when he gets on the boat and they leave port, what happens? A storm blows in. And it's such a violent storm that these guys are going crazy, and they start throwing stuff overboard, and they start, like, getting rid of things, and they start throwing their tackle overboard. They start doing all of this stuff, and, fi- and then they, they roll the dice. They cast lots to see if they could figure out who did something to, to, um, uh, to really upset the gods, Right? And then the, cat, the, the lot lands on Jonah, and Jonah says, hey, it's me, I upset God. And they say, well, what can we do to make it stop? And they say, he says, you have to throw me overboard. And they resist that at first. They throw a few more things over. When the storm, storm doesn't stop, they throw him over. What happens? Glass. So then what happens? He's, he, the Bible says he's sinking to the bottom of the sea, and God sends a great fish to swallow him up. And he's in the belly of that fish for how long? Three days. And he's praying the whole time. We have that prayer written out. It's a piece of the Psalms. He's praying the Psalms out to God. What happens after three days? Throw up. Yeah. He, the fish throws up Jonah onto the shore. And Jonah heads to Nineveh which some people think could have taken him a month to get there. So he starts this journey of a month to get to Nineveh. He gets to Nineveh, what's he do? He preaches an extremely short message, eight words, to this large city. He says he goes halfway in, he preaches, and he gets out. He doesn't even even stay. He goes in, says his piece, and leaves. 
Doesn't even say everything God said to say. So then what happens? Nineveh does repent in sackcloth and ashes, even the animals. They don't even feed the animals. They fast, they pray. They don't even feed the animals. And they, the, the king, they all enter into this fast and they're seeking God and they're repenting of their sin. Jonah leaves and that's where we pick up the story today. Jonah chapter four, verse five. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We'll also have the words up on the screen if you need that as well. Jonah chapter four, verse five. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited, watch this, to see what would happen. He sits down and he waits to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. It was hot. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry. It, it, he said, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's not just angry, he's wish I were dead angry. <laughs> you ever been wish you were dead angry? He's not just like, yeah, I'm mad about the plant. He's like, no, I'm really mad about the plant. I'm so mad about the plant, I wish I was just dead. The Bible says he's a prophet. The Bible doesn't say he's smart. <laughs> but the Lord said, you've been concerned about, listen to this, listen to what God says to him. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have, this is a, this is a, um, this is a Jewish uh, way, this is a way of writing that um, God is, God says something and then flips it, pivots and turns it back. He says, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Verse 11, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and so many animals? Look at that where it says great city. Actually, the translation of that phrase says this great city to God. This is, not, this is not God just puffing up Nineveh like, oh, it's such a great city. Actually, the phrase says, this great city to me? In other words, what I care about? Well, God, you shouldn't care about this city. They're wicked. They impale people. They actually skin people. They behead people, put their heads on sticks, and God said, that I care about? This great city that I care about. And actually, the implication in this verse, he says, um, you've, you've been concerned about this plant that you did not tend and you did not make grow. The implication is, God is tending Nineveh. The implication is, God cares about this city. And he's saying, you care about this plant, I care about this people. 
And that's that. That's the end of the book. That's the end of our series. It's over. It's one of only two books in the Bible that actually end in a question mark. And it's the only one that ends in a question asked by God to the writer of the book. God asks a question and it does not get answered. The last stanzas of this book are actually an illustration that God is using to help Jonah see the wickedness of his own heart. Earlier in verse 4, God asked Jonah the same question. Remember, uh, Pastor Trevor went over it last week. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah actually doesn't answer that question that time. Why? It's rhetorical. It's a rhetorical question. Last week, Pastor Trevor read it. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Do you have any rights here to be angry? It's a rhetorical question. Jonah's like, oh, no, I actually don't. So I'm not going to answer. He doesn't answer. Do you have any right to be angry for what I did here and how I treated the people of Nineveh when they repented? When you put it that way, Jonah has nothing to say, nothing to be angry about, so he doesn't answer. So God starts this elaborate plan to provide Jonah with the opportunity to see the darkness that's in his heart. You're like, you're reading a lot into it. And I don't have to. I don't have to read into it. It ends right here. This guy wrote this about himself. You understand that, right? Though under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jonah wrote the book of Jonah himself. It's his confession. All we have to do is guess what he did after that question mark. He makes himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He builds a shady spot and plops down to see what would happen. Really, it's to see if God would change his mind and smite the people. If maybe they wouldn't turn all the way back to God. Maybe they wouldn't fully turn. I th and this would be God's chance to, you know, sweep in and bring fire down and punish them all. I think at this point, God's done looking at Nineveh. They've repented. He's done with them. They repented. So his focus is back on his man, Jonah, looking like a fool, sitting up on a hill, waiting for God to go Sodom and Gomorrah on this city. Do you think Sodom and Gomorrah is not on God's mind when he's thinking about this city? Sure. I think God's waiting for an Abraham kind of moment from Jonah. Where Abraham steps up and contends with God and intercedes for a city. He says, but God, if there's just this many, will you save it still? If there's just this many, would you still save this city? He's looking for his man, Jonah, to have a moment of repentance that actually shows his intention and care for the people that God cares about. And it doesn't happen. He's looking maybe for an Abraham moment here, maybe for a Moses moment here. Like Moses, when, when God said, hey, I'm just going to get out of my way, son. I'm going to wipe this people out. And Moses says, don't do that. It's against your character. And Moses stands in the gap for a people and, and repents for a people and stands before God and says, don't do this, God. I know your character and this is not you. And the nations will say this is who you are and it's not who you are. Don't do it. Is this because God's wild and unpredictable? No. 
We heard about God's character last week. The Lord, gracious and compassionate, abounding in loving kindness. I think God's looking for his man to step up and ask God to have mercy and spare the city. To intercede. Instead, he gets a guy who sits down, grabs his s'mores stuff, and waits for a Nineveh bonfire. He didn't go home. Why didn't he go home? What's he waiting for? Maybe God will just light him up. Maybe I'll get to be that prophet that gets to see it. Exposes his heart. When God is considering cities and what to do with them, he's looking for a prophetic people to both warn and intercede. It's both. He's not looking for a people that will just stand there and point and say, you're in sin. He's looking for a people to say, hey, this is what God says, and not leave the city. Did you hear me? He's not looking for a people who want to just point out the flaws of their nation and then stand aside and say, light them up, Lord. This is not what God is looking for. And now I'm talking to the church. When God is considering cities and what to do with them, when God is considering Garden City and what to do with it, he's looking for a prophetic people to both warn and intercede. To stand in the gap, to love unconditionally. To stand in the gap and reach out to a neighbor and save. Not to stand and point and say, well, I don't like what they were wearing. Who cares? We're so concerned about what people are wearing at award shows, we haven't even opened our Bible this week. Of course they wore that at an award show. That award show is not for you and me. really distracted. Jonah was really distracted waiting for the fire of God on his city and God was like, you know who I am. It's what made him angry in the first place. He knew that God would be gracious and compassionate if they repented. That's why he didn't want to go. Church, if we preach the gospel and intercede for our nation like we're supposed to, it will get saved, not caught on fire. He's looking for someone to deliver his word and reflect his character. That's harder than preaching his word. Preaching his word is like, oh, well, yeah, that you're in sin. Reflecting his character is a whole other ball game. Reflecting the character of God, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Reflecting that to my city is way more difficult than just pointing out their sin. 
We get so distracted by the sin and wickedness of the world all around us, calling down the judgment of God with our own self-righteous, side-eyed glances, and God is looking for a people who will love a generation into the harvest of our day. We will never be able to reach a generation with the love of God that we won't even touch with a 10-foot pole. I don't care what bumper sticker's on your car. Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. The concern has never been to pray for the harvest. The concern has never been if there will be a harvest. The if is if you and I get to participate in the harvest. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. For the harvest is great. It's ready. It's white. But the workers are few. The concern is not if there's going to be a harvest. The harvest is ripe and it's coming in. The concern is whether you and I get to participate in the harvest. If there's something in our life that's holding us back from participating with God and all that he wants to do. Let's go to verse six. Kate told me I need to throw in a few jokes at this point, but I didn't have any. She said, hey, you're a little heavy, bud. Sorry, not sorry, okay. Jonah had gone out and sat on a place, at a place east of the city. Skip to verse six. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant, but at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, look at this, God provided, God provided a scorching wind. And the sun blazed on his head so he grew faint. Jonah is writing out his story himself almost as a confession. When I read it, sometimes it's interesting to swap the word Jonah with the word I. So instead of doing it in the third person, don't you think it's a little weird? Like, then Jonah, he's writing it. He's the one writing it. I find it far more interesting to say things like, but then at dawn, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. The next, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on my head so I grew faint. Notice it says that God provided. When I think of God providing, this is not what comes to mind. I'm thinking old school. I grew up in church, so when I hear the word provided, I'm thinking Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. Come on, old school. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking bank account, yo. (laughs) What did God provide? He provided shade. That was comfortable. And when God provided that, Jonah was happy about it. Jonah was happy about the first bit of provision, but then God also provided the worm. And it took away the shade, and the scorching sun beat down on his head, bringing discomfort to Jonah, and provided the good things. So God provided the good things and the bad things, the positive and the negative, you might say. We look at him that way. Don't, aren't we very binary like that? Like, oh, God, this is good, this was bad. This was positive, this was negative. God provided all of it. God provided the good things. He provided the bad things. However you want to say it. Why? Because, listen, God is, 
God provided each of these things because he was more concerned with Jonah's character than his comfort. God is always more interested in our character than our comfort. So when you're talking about the provision, the blessing, the right hand of the Lord, I'm the head and not the tail, listen to me. What you're talking about is you want him to build your character, not give you stuff. Jonah has some character issues God was trying to sort out, but God is far more interested in his character than his, uh, than his comfort. So he provided for him. He said, I'll provide for you. A plant. He provided a worm. He provided a wind. And do you know a few chapters back, it actually says God provided a fish. This word provision is the word appointed. It's a miraculous thing that God does. God interrupts the natural order of things to get into his life and change his character and address some stuff going on in his life. You see, God's provision was for saving his life and for shaping his life. It was both. He was saving his life, but he was also shaping his life. You see, a prosperity gospel has grown into our theology, which tells me that God should just be meeting all of my needs all of the time. God's provision is for my needs. No, God's provision is not for your needs. God's provision is not for your comfort. God's blessing is not just for my bank account. It's for my benefit. It's for my benefit. And he knows what's best for me. Remember Job? Job had everything taken away from him. Job, he has all of his children wiped out in a single day. He finds out by messenger. He has everything taken from him. And Job's response in Job 121 is, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, he understood this about God. God gives and takes away. God does things that are God's will. This is the way God rolls. My response is, blessed be the name of the Lord. The provision or blessing of God exposes the position of my heart. The provision of God, the blessing of God exposes, that's how I know it's provision. Otherwise, I can, I can make money. I can go get a job. Am I thankful that God has given me those jobs? Yeah. Am I thankful I can go make money, work with my hands, work with my mind, all the, yes. I can make money. God's provision is not just money. God's blessing exposes the position of my heart before him. God's provision, his accounting, his preparation. God prepared a whale, a plant, a worm, the wind. God prepared things to help Jonah see what he was missing. God provided, God sent. These are all words that this, it's, it's the Hebrew word mana. It's the same word. God interrupted the natural order of flora and fauna and weather just to get through to Jonah, to bring Jonah to a place of repentance. So I guess the question for us today is, what has God provided to bring character into your life? What's God provided to bring character to my life? You know, it's always just about our hearts. Will we lay down the sin of our pride and self-righteousness 
our judgments, our biases. Like Jonah, you guys, we get upset about a plant when God's talking about cities. I get upset about politics and God's focused on people. I get worked up about yard signs and God's trying to send us as a sign to a generation. We've got to catch this. God's provision reveals our priorities. We talk a lot in church about reaching our cities. We talk a lot about being a prophetic voice to our generations. And, and do, these are all great things. It's, uh, these are awesome things. We should be calling a generation, our generation, to repentance. That's, we should be doing that. We should be standing up and saying, this is God's way. Follow it. We should be doing that. We should be a witness to our generation, a sign to our generation. But, you know, Jonah had been a prophet before all of this happened to him. Before he did all this, he prophesied to Jeroboam II. And he says a lot of things to Jeroboam. He's like, this, you know, this thing, that thing. He's a prophet before this happens. And I can see God saying, oh, cool, so you want to be a prophet? Cool, here's what that looks like. We have just a couple things to work out in your life. Do you remember when Saul first got saved? In, in the book of Acts, I was in the book of Acts this week, just in and out, and just, uh, actually, it was on the road to Ikea. <laughs> Funnily enough, I listened to all of Acts and a couple of others. Um, where was I going? Sorry. <laughs> Saul. Remember what it says, Saul, we first meet Saul and he's standing there in judgment when we first meet him. He's standing watching Stephen, the first martyr, get martyred for Christ right in front of him. Stephen preaches this amazing message and the people get so angry, it says they were gnashing their teeth at him. They drag him outside the city. They throw him down. They start stoning him. And who's standing on the side judging? Saul. He set himself a little place, grabbed his popcorn and his s'mores to watch judgment happen. Like somebody else we've been talking about. You know how he's in judgment. It says that the people threw their coats at his feet. He, watched, he was watching their coats. You know what else he was doing? It says it in the next chapter. It says, and he looked and he agreed with them. He was standing there in judgment over Stephen. What happens just chapters later? He has this miraculous encounter with God. God interrupts the natural order of things miraculously to stop Saul in his tracks and save him. He's blind. He goes into the city of Damascus. He's praying for days. God sends a prophet in a dream, to, uh, sends a dream to a prophet that says, go appear to Saul. And he says, I don't want to appear to Saul. Do you know who Saul is? And he says, yes, I do know. You want to, do you remember what he says about Saul? He says, I will show him what he must suffer for my name. I'll show him what I'm going to provide. You want to be a voice to a generation? God's going to show you what that looks like. And it's great if we walk in repentance. I'm, I'm, fully, I'm fully convinced that if Jonah had gotten in the belly of that whale and been like, whoa, Lord, I am done. You've stopped me in my trap. I'm literally in a fish right now. Whatever you say, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever you, and he went and he preached his best sermon. And then he stayed around to help with the repentance, help with the cleanup. And then prayed over the city, prayed over the leaders, met with the king. He didn't do any of that. But I'm fully convinced we wouldn't even have to have the book of Jonah had that happened. 
We're kind of in a Jonah moment right now. And God's saying, oh yeah, you want to be a prophetic voice to your generation? You want to be a, a church that reaches your city? I'm not just talking about Vineyard Boise. I'm talking about the body of Christ. We say a lot in the body of Christ. We have a lot of things written on our walls. Vision and mission, they're amazing. God's saying, okay, cool. Here's what that looks like. Let's deal with your life. Let's walk in repentance together. See, the provision of God is not just for my bank account. It's for my benefit and the benefit of the generation around me. Hmm. So we've been sent. We know that. We're commissioned to reach a city. When you're sent, that's the opportunity to repent. When you're sent, it's the opportunity to repent. So I'm not even going to ask us to stand up. Just be right where you are. Worship team is going to come and play, and we're just going to meet with God for a minute. We've got time. We have time right now. I think these final stanzas of the book of Jonah, Jonah's writing, and there he is in the third person, and he's like, and then God sent God sent this to me, and then God sent this to me, and then God sent this to me. And I think God asks him this question at the end, like, hey, is this plant more important than this city? I think the reason we have this book written out is because Jonah did repent. This book was Jonah's repentance. I think he writes out that question from God, and it's like God saying, seriously, man? Seriously, right now, you're going to think about a plant more than this city? I think that's, that, was the, that was the final straw, I think. I think that's where God got him. I think he just drops his quill and drops to his face and repents. I hope I would. I can just see him like writing it out like, oh, and then God provided, God provides a fish and I didn't do it then. And then God provides a plant, which I was happy about. But then God provided a worm which ate the plant that made the sun shine on me again. Then God provided this scorching heat that burned my head. And then I got really angry at God. And then God said to me, do you have any right to be angry? Man of God, it seems like you're a little bit more upset at this, about this plant dying than you are about this city that was headed for hell. And I think he probably just says, yeah, I was. That was a big mistake. You see, the same thing that God wanted Jonah to say to Nineveh, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, that's the same thing he wanted to say over Jonah, too. And so I'm gonna say that over us today. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, so slow to get angry, and so rich in love. And if I walk in repentance, he will forgive. He says, though their, skin, though their sins were 
red as blood, I will make them white as snow. I don't want us to miss this opportunity today. I know we've been talking about repentance for weeks. You're like, I'm a little repented out. Maybe, maybe not. I'm believing that God's stirring something in our hearts and our lives right now, even in our church right now. God's stirring something in the church all over the globe right now. And it's not just singing, it's repentance. It's not just happening on college campuses, although it is. It's happening in churches all across the U.S. and around the world. Not because they're singing, but because they're walking in repentance toward God and humility toward God. And I'm really believing today, like Jonah, that we could just be like, whoa, yeah, that's me. Drop our pen, drop to our knees and repent for judgment. Any areas of pride, arrogance, any area where I see that I'm just like sitting there just pointing at the word, pointing at the, at the world, just like, hey, toast him, Lord. Instead of saying, hey, would you have mercy? In wrath, remember mercy. This is how I know if I need to repent for this area. I'm not praying for anyone. I, I'm talking to myself. This is how I know if I'm not walking in this 100% in my life, if there's nobody on my prayer list that I'm saying, God, remember mercy. God over my neighbors, remember mercy. God over my coworkers, remember mercy. God, would you draw them to your, God over our city. Would you remember mercy? Where you could sit in judgment, God. Where you could just judge the hell right out of us. Would you remember mercy? Where you could rake us right over the coals, you have the right. We're in sin. But would you remember mercy? I know in faith, I know that right now that God is imparting this mercy and compassion into our hearts. If that's, if that's you, just stand right where you're at. If God's just imparting this into you right now and you're saying, God is, I want this, I need this in my life. God's just imparting. He wants to impart the mercy, the compassion, and the goodness of God right into your heart. The Lord, the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Some place where it says, it says to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. If that's the message that you want to be sending today, we're just going to, would you, and you just say, hey, God, I want that. I need that impartation in me. The mercy, the love, the compassion of God, not my judgmental eye, not my judgmental spirit, not my judgmental words, not my any of that. God, I repent of pride. I repent of arrogance. I repent for saying, hey, I've got it. Lord, I'm going to point to a city and say, Lord, have mercy. Then I'm gonna go back into the city and get busy. 
Something's happened all over this room. We're, I'm believing today for an impartation of this faith from the Holy Spirit right now. So God, right now, we do ask, God, would you just ask him, Lord, say, I want this. God, right now, we just say we want an impartation. Lord, today we stand in repentance. Lord, in repentance, Lord, not, not of idols and stuff like that, God, but of our own thinking. Lord, we've repented of idols. We've repented of going our own way. But God, now we repent for standing in judgment, for standing at a distance. Help us to go in with both hands wide open, ready to work, ready to seek and save the lost, just like you, Jesus. Jesus, help us to reflect the character of God to the world around us. Here in Garden City, here in Boise, in the Treasure Valley, in Idaho and around the world, God, would you help this church? We repent today, God. Anything that God just brings up in your heart and in your life that's coming in between you and this message today, just repent, just call it out. Say, God, I repent. We're not in a hurry. God, I repent, Lord. Anything that, Lord, of my own judging, my own devices, I've said, hey, I, God, I repent. I don't want my own way. I don't want what I think should happen to a city and a world. I want what you think should happen to a city and a world. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. God, that's what I want for this generation. God, that's what we want for our generation. Now let's begin to just pray out what we want to see God do in a generation. Lord, would you send us to this generation with our hearts on fire, with our hearts burning with this message in our life, God, to seek and save the lost, to seek and save the lost, but the love of Jesus and the power of God. Send us, God. Send us, God. Send us to the nations. Send us to Garden City. Send us, God. We repent. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. God, we repent. Lord, we open ourselves up to be used by you, God, to go back into the city. Forgive us if we've just been sitting outside waiting for you to do something. We just say we want to go back in, God. We're ready to tap back in. Show us, God, where we can go in. Show us, God. If we've just been sitting on the sidelines or just been checked out, God, would you just show me how to go back into the city and reach the lost? God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in us. And we just say continue, continue. Lord, in this next season, thank you for what you've been doing. Lord, in our times of prayer, in our times of worship, God, we say more. As you draw us, I ask that you would help us to be obedient to go. As you draw us, help us to be obedient to go. God, I ask that this message would just go deep in my heart today. Lord, just relieve me of the distractions of my life. 
we give you permission to provide. And God, I just ask that you'd have your way in our midst, have your way in our city through us. Help us to be ones that make the invisible God visible in our city. We just ask all of this in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. So formally, we're, we're dismissed today formally, but you can do whatever you want. You can come, you can go, you can stay, you can leave. We're just gonna be here, just meeting with God. I, I think this is really important. So if you need to go get your kids, that's, that's, that's awesome, but and if you want to come up to the front and just meet with God or you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you. Somebody has a recent diagnosis, like a recent diagnosis, and you're like, hey, this is pretty scary. I just feel like God's revealing that today. If you have a recent diagnosis of something in your physical body, once you come on up to the front, we wanna pray for you. People in the ministry team will lay hands on you and pray for you. Somebody just with a recent diagnosis of illness or disease, we wanna pray for you. We have a couple of other words for prayer we're gonna put up on the screen right now. These are specific words that our prayer team, our ministry team, as they were praying this week, God just showed that he wants to meet people right here and bitterness and discouragement. And if you need prayer for any of these, you want ministry for any of these things, come on up to the front. We wanna pray with you and believe with you. Uh, broken feet, the small bones of the feet, fractures in the feet. A broken wrist, fractures in your wrist. And then this is a word, just specifically a word of knowledge to say that he walks with you and he wants you to believe it. And then somebody who's in a new chapter in your life and you need prayer for that new chapter in your life. Come on up to the front, we wanna pray with you. If you just wanna be here in the room and just minister to God or let God minister to you or you're just seeking God more, just be here, don't, you don't have to hurry. God bless you. As we leave today, let's go make the invisible God visible all around us. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.